CEE Central Europe Explained An IDM podcast series powered by Erste Group Episode 16 New and old players in the game China with Ivana Kraskova Welcome to the new episode of IDM's podcast series CEE Central Europe Explained My name is Malvina Talik and I'm a research associate at the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe. Today, we'll talk about a new old player in Central and Eastern Europe, namely People's Republic of China. An old player because before the fall of communism in Europe, many countries of the region had close ties with Beijing, even if sometimes on an on and off basis. A new player because with the growing global role of China, the relations between this part of Europe and the Middle Kingdom entered a new chapter. But how strong is the interest of sea countries in China? What role do they play in China's going global strategy? And can good China-Sea relations pose a potential threat to the EU? Joining us from Prague is Ivana Karaskova, who will shed some light on the subject. Hello, Ivana. Good morning, Malvina. Thank you for having me. Ivana Kuroskova is a China Research Fellow and a Project Coordinator at the Association for International Affairs in Prague. She's also a European China Policy Fellow at Merix in Berlin and a Czech member of China Expert Pool at the European Center of Excellence for Countering Hybrid Threats based in Helsinki. Moreover, Ivana founded and leads two international China-focused projects, MEP Influence and China Observers in Central and Eastern Europe, short choice. It is a very impressive profile, Ivana. So really happy that that you joined me today. Thank you, Malvina. That's very kind. Let us start with assessing the magnitude of Chinese influence in and on Central and Eastern Europe. There are many alarmist voices which claim that Xi has grown too close to China, too dependent. Aaron Mitchell, a former U.S. Assistant Secretary of State, even claimed that in order to benefit from global changes, Central Europe has to finally, quote, get out of bed with Beijing. So are Xi countries really so dependent on China or is it a popular misconception? Well, Malvina, to measure an influence, that's quite difficult. And also there is quite a different situation for EU member states in Central and Eastern Europe and for non-EU member states uh, in Western Balkans. So to dissect it into two parts, economy-wise, the level of influence, of Chinese influence in EU member states is very, very small. If we compare foreign direct investment, which went from China to Europe, Um, Most of these FDIs were absorbed by Western European countries, Germany, France, Italy, UK, when UK was part of uh, European Union. And only about 2% of FDI was actually absorbed by Central and Eastern European countries. So in Chinese, um, in measuring Chinese influence in economy, I would say that there is much more words than actual deeds. And most of the investment went to just four countries. And that's V4 countries, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Poland, and Hungary. Um, And the reason for that is because these countries are, of course, located closer to the Western markets. And also what came to those V4 countries 
mostly came before establishment of 17 plus one cooperation me mechanism in 2012, 2013. And when it went to those countries, it was actually in a form of mergers and acquisitions. So not so many of uh, jobs were created in Central and Eastern Europe. And it was really much more in form of bombastic speeches, rhetorics, memoranda of understanding than real deeds. With one exception, of course, and that's the Belgrade-Budapest uh, railway. Politically speaking, China has been definitely much more present in Central and Eastern Europe since 2012, since this uh, 17 plus one platform was established. And there was a lot of hopes from the local politicians, from businessmen with uh, particular interests in Chinese market, or those who were interested in selling their companies for inflated prices to the Chinese investors. But in reality, apart from this interest, which was uh, showed by Central and Eastern European leaders and politicians, there was not so much actually happening on the ground. But when we did a slow audit last year to measure actually what was happening on this lower level than the government to government relationship, we discovered that it, there's quite an interesting maze actually of relationship between different Chinese provinces, municipalities, different Chinese entities and local entities. And that's far more interesting, I would say, and far more perhaps dangerous as well, because as I was saying, this is flying below the radar. It's absolutely non-transparent what kind of relationship on local levels is going on between different political parties and Chinese Communist Party, what kind of prior diplomacy between municipalities is happening. And there were also a huge upsurge of people-to-people -people relations. So to go back to your original question, economy-wise, I wouldn't be that much alarmed. Politically speaking, the influence is definitely here. It has not been that much described yet. From what you've just said, I also understand that there is not such a thing as dependence of Central Europe on China. Well, in terms of trade, of course, uh, we are not the primary focus for, for Chinese investment. And in terms of trade, the trade is rising steadily, but it has been rising from a very, very small level or small basis. And though the trade is rising, also our deficit is rising within, in terms of trade volume with China. So yeah, you are absolutely right. In terms of the numbers, uh, Central and Eastern European countries are not so heavily dependent on Chinese market and thus they are less vulnerable for any kind of retaliation from the Chinese side. Could you explain maybe to us why China is interested in, in this region? What importance does it represent to a global player like China? Is it unique? Or is this interest unique? Or is it rather a part of a bigger strategy? It's, of course, a part of the bigger strategy. Let's start with the economy again. I wouldn't say that it's such a big issue here, as I just talked about in a previous minute. Um, China doesn't see Central and Eastern Europe as a crucial market, though the trade has been rising steadily. But it's an interesting market, nevertheless, because we do have skilled labor. We are stable countries, more or less. We are very close to Western European markets, especially the V4 countries, and we still have relatively cheap labor in comparison to Western European standards. But there were, and there are, many problems. China doesn't understand the local conditions. When China came to this region, it was thinking that perhaps it will 
operate here as it was used to operate in global south because it actually sees central and eastern european countries as developing countries as the global south and they were quite surprised that it's that we do have some kind of legal regulations we do have environmental standards and there are also e regulations on top of that so there was a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of mishaps and, and a lot of failures on of China in Central and Eastern Europe, but it tried nevertheless, as I was saying, but the real value of Central and Eastern European countries, apart from being close to Western European markets, is actually that we are a part of bigger groupings. We are members of the European Union, we are members of NATO, most of the countries in Central and Eastern Europe, and it helped China to get through some of its um, agenda already. For example, Hungary and Greece watered down joint approach on Hong Kong. Uh, they watered down the resolution on South China Sea. So that's quite useful for China to use a good relationship it had or it still has with some part of the political elites here to influence bigger groupings. You have mentioned before the 17 plus one initiative. The summit of this initiative was held just a couple of weeks ago on the 9th of February. Could you tell our listeners more about it, about its goals, about states that are allowed to participate? Uh, well, for China, when it started this initiative in 2012-2013, it was mostly following two goals. The first one was, was to reduce the costs of symmetry for China, because it's easier to meet 17 relatively small countries in one, one time, in one place, than to have 17 different bilateral meetings. And also the other goal, of course, was to get into European Union, to get into this region, which China considered to be abandoned, to be a periphery, and when what China considered to be between Germany and Russian sphere of influence. For Central and Eastern European countries, it was quite interesting as well, because in that time, after the global financial crisis, they were looking for diversification of their exports. They realized that they are heavily dependent on Western markets, especially on Germany, because we are parts of German supply chains. And they started to look at Eastern Asia, um, China, Japan, Russia as well. So they started to diversify. And these two uh, streams of thinking actually met in 2012, 2013. So there was an interest from both sides. And for Central and Eastern European countries also, it was interesting to meet China in this setting because otherwise they would probably have no chance to meet with Chinese, because usually it's the bigger countries, the more important countries considered in European Union, which have direct communication with China, such as Germany, such as France. So for CEE countries, it was quite an interesting opportunity, and they more or less still see 17 plus one as this kind of opportunity. And there were very bombastic numbers flying around how many investment will actually come to Central and Eastern European countries. But the countries in Central and Eastern Europe slowly realize over the years that there is really a huge gap between words and deeds. And there was very little investment coming. And this year it was even worse, I would say, because China approached Central and Eastern European countries in the end of uh, year 2020, beginning of 2021, when they finished the negotiation with the European Union over the Comprehensive Agreement on Investment. And they wanted to suddenly have 
a summit on the level of heads of the government and heads of the state. And they basically demanded presidents and prime ministers from 17 CEE countries to show up on the dates which was designed by China. Um, and it was very poorly managed, very, I would say, assertive from the Chinese diplomacy. And CEE countries didn't like it, didn't like to be treated as vassals of China, which we are, of course, not. So there was a huge backlash and six countries decided to not to send nor prime minister nor president to this virtual summit. And Baltic countries um, unanimously said that they are actually rethinking whether they should be a part of 17 plus one at all. Is there some sort of transformation in the way the countries of this initiative view China? Definitely. I think that the, the perception of China overall worsened with um, 2019 protests in Hong Kong, with what's going on in Xinjiang, human rights abuses, with the beginning of COVID-19 at the spring 2020 uh, in China. So these are all interlinked perceptions, which worsened really the position of, of China in Central and Eastern Europe, but overall in European environment or European context. And countries are now rethinking also what they should do with 17 plus one, because what they didn't realize originally was that the whole agenda is driven by China. It's China in the driving seat. And they're happily participating in 17 plus one and not knowing where China is driving them. So for the very first time, actually last year and this year, the representations in a couple of countries, namely Baltic states, Poland, for example, started to rethink what it is that they should be wanting from China. So it should be their agenda at 17 plus one summit. And, and there are 17 countries, at least 12 of them are EU member states. So at least among those 12, there should be some kind of understanding and leveraging their position in negotiations with China. They also realize that they can be pushing for not only their agenda, but perhaps other agendas as well. It could be the EU agenda. They can pressure China in this setting, actually offset this tool which was created by China to also inject some rhetorics of EU or even Washington if they wish to do so. So there's a quite an interesting transformation going on in 17 plus one, at least on 17 CEE countries level. From what you say, I have this impression that China seems to know much better what it wants from this part of Europe than vice versa. Is it so that until recently, uh, countries which participate in the 17 plus one initiative had no joint strategy on China? Definitely. 17 CE countries didn't have any joint strategy. It was basically them competing among each other and China sitting there and waiting for the best deal to be offered to it. And in all the settings where there is a bilateral relationship with China, China by its sheer size will have this ultimate advantage of basically beating everyone up. So it's the only hope really is, is to start creating coalitions. It may not work on the level of 17 countries, because as I said, they are very, very different. There are Baltic countries, V4 countries, uh, countries in the Western Balkans, countries in the middle and so on. Very different um, strategies and very different objectives but it may work on the lower levels. I mean, the Baltic states definitely showed up um, during this summit that they can, um, that there is some solidarity among them and they can bend together. V4 countries, it may be difficult with Hungary, but the other three countries, there is no impediment for them not to cooperate when it comes to China. 
can countries actually afford this not to cooperate with China? Is it possible currently when the globalization is speeding up? Whether can countries afford not to cooperate with China? It's a good question. Well, the problem is that China is not offering that much. Uh, Chinese market is still a closed market, more or less. Um, it's very difficult to um, succeed in Chinese market. And as the global pandemics showed us, um, it may be also not a good idea to put all the eggs into one basket. So the companies, the big multinational companies, what they already started to do is that they started to diversify, not only within China, but also in regards to moving their production to other Asian countries or African countries, Latin American countries. So I can actually see that at least Central and Eastern European countries can afford to, I wouldn't say ignore China, but not to be blackmailed by China. Mm -hmm. And could you maybe tell us more about the case of the Czech Republic? It seems that its relations with China have worsened recently. How did, what impact did it have on the Czech Republic? Well, historically speaking, since 1989, Czech Republic used to be, and the past tense is intentional here, used to be the most vocal critique of China. The first president we had, Václav Havel, was very strict about dealings with communist regimes. So his position was not to deal with China at all, focus on European Union, focus on our accession towards NATO, focus on transatlantic cooperation. And this heavily influenced the Czech foreign policy, which used to be in the past really focused on values-based uh, principles. But as everything changes in Central and Eastern Europe, and you know that uh, as well from your original perspective, Polish perspective, we love to be extremists. So this was one extreme. And with the global financial crisis, we basically drifted to another extreme where the president, uh, Miloš Zeman, wanted to have more diversification of trade export routes and wanted to have more cooperation with China. And it was seen as necessary to court China to do a lot of grand gestures towards Chinese president and Chinese prime minister. So we basically drifted to another very extreme position of uh, being seen as very loyal to, to Chinese interests. But still, every time the pendulum shifts, it's not a full swing. So while the political representation or the big portion of the representation and um, businessmen shifted toward their position on China, the local population didn't. Journalists didn't buy that. Um, NGOs didn't buy that. Think tankers didn't buy that as well. Opposition parties didn't like it. So um, there was still some kind of dissent, I would say, regarding the changing foreign policy towards China. And this has changed once again. So the pendulum is actually moving back towards being much more negative on China. And the reasons are numerous. And one of them, of course, is that the promises which were made by the Chinese side didn't materialize. It could have been different if there was actually some kind of meaningful investment coming from China, some kind of you know, new jobs created in, in a bigger scale than uh, just a couple of, a couple of um, dozens uh, which were created here. But the reality is that basically it failed here. And also the biggest company which came to Czech Republic in 2015, CEFC, it turned out in 2018 to be a Ponzi scheme. And Citig, the Chinese state-owned company, had to come to its rescue and overtake uh, the assets. So it was a big scandal in the Czech Republic. And 
uh, it also inoculated a number of politicians and businessmen towards having closer ties with China. They, they saw what it means to have close ties with China, that it didn't bring any results. So they decided against that. And there is also internationally the changing climate, the climate towards China, not only in Washington, of course, but also in within the European Union. So it all contributed to once again see China as uh, what it is, as a, as a problematic international actor. And we also started to think about having once again foreign policy based on uh, values. So let us talk about the Centum Plus One initiative again, because this cooperation is sometimes frowned upon among the old member states. Um, it is seen as undermining the EU joint interest. In this narrative, uh, CE is regarded a uh, Trojan horse of the EU. Does the China CE cooperation within a uh, 17 plus one initiative really pose a threat to the EU? Hmm. It's a good question. I do think that it may be a threat if the Central and East European countries don't do anything about it. Is if they continue in, in the obliviation towards what, what it means to actually negotiate with China. European External Action Service is already an observer in the format, as is Austria, as is Belarus uh, and, and other countries. So there is some kind of, uh, I would say, check or not, not oversight, definitely, but some kind of check and cooperation and sharing of information going on with um, other countries and also European institutions. What I do see also as problematic is that it actually duplicates this East-West divide, which definitely exists within the European Union. So we are artificially trapped in being still seen as Eastern European countries. And what was quite interesting at the very beginning in 2012-2013, when the platform was established, that some of the countries in Eastern Europe felt quite uneasy with being seen as Eastern Europeans. For example, Baltic states, they recognized themselves as Nordic countries. So they were quite surprised and felt very strange about being you know, trapped <laughs> into, into what some kind of um, setting together with, for example, Bulgaria, Romania, Albania, Kos uh, Kosovo is not a member, but uh, Serbia, for example. But, Strangely enough, they slowly started to identify as um, members of 17 plus one. So what I do see as an interesting trend and perhaps dangerous trend is really that the 17 plus one format duplicates the East-West divide and contributes to forming identity of CEE as a region, as a separate region. For this claim that CEE countries are Trojan horses, well, well, we have seen during the, the negotiations over a comprehensive agreement on investment, how Germany rushed the negotiations and how much they were willing to actually sell or compromise uh, with uh, the Chinese negotiators. So I would be very cautious about using this uh, Trojan horse paradigm or uh, metaphor here. And what we also do know about 17 plus one is that every time China is coming with some kind of strange rhetorics uh, for the final documents, there is a huge fight taken by certain Central and Eastern European countries to delete these rhetorics. 
And this year it was particularly bloody, I would say, because I have seen the draft of the Beijing guidelines, which were produced by China and which were given to Central and Eastern European countries for their consideration and finally for, for the signature. And it was full of Chinese um, talking points such as win-win or shared uh, destiny of mankind, uh, Belt and Road Initiative and so on. When you look at the action plan, so it's not even guidelines which were adopted this year, just a very vague tentative action plan. There is none of this rhetorics, which means that CEE countries basically boycotted this kind of language. So once again, um, I would be very cautious using Trojan horse uh, metaphor in this context. I left a very hypothetical question for the very end of our conversation. Based on what we know now, how will the China Sea relations develop in the future? What, what is your take on, on it? Well, I think the ball is on, on China's court. Well, if they want to succeed, which of course is a question mark whether they want and whether we want them to succeed. But in this hypothetical scenario, um, they would really have to do some kind of soul searching and think about what it is that they messed up. That's basically... China is judged by the deeds, not necessarily by, by the words. And it will have to understand that it cannot deal with countries in Central and Eastern Europe the way it approaches them, that it treats them as some kind of provinces of China is definitely not the case. Well, 17 plus one may dissolve um, if countries decide not to participate or lower their representation in the future, or it could be repurposed if they started to be much more vocal, much more active, which uh, they started to be, which we have seen actually happening already. And the big question, of course, is here, what will be the economic impact of COVID-19 crisis and the EU reaction to that? China scored points in 2018 during the global financial crisis because it behaved very in a very responsible manner. And we still have to see the real impact of COVID-19 is going to be on the European economy, how the European institution will react on that, what, what kind of solidarity European Union will show not only to its own members, but also to Western Balkans. If China offers real investment to the countries, in Western Balkans and in Central and Eastern Europe, it may be a game changer. They may once again fall for that. But of course, they are not going to be that naive as they used to be. Ivana, thank you very much for joining us today and sharing your impressive expertise. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Many thanks also to our listeners for following the CE Central Europe Explained podcast powered by Ursa Group. A great thing about podcasts is that you do not have to listen to them in real time. So feel free to explore our ACAS library whenever you find time. We also encourage you to become an IDM member and receive more information on Central, Eastern and Southeastern Europe. For details, please visit our website www.idm.at Thank you very much and see you soon. IDM Podcast Institute für den Donauraum und Mitteleuropa Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe European Perspectives Regional Actions Cooperation and Expertise since 1953